podcast one production. The truth about starting a business, crafting a career, having a family and managing to fit it all in. Superwomen, we ain't. From the founder of Boost Juice, Janine Ellis, and leading executive and career coach, Margie Hartley. The expectation that there's never a failure and that you're a superwoman and that you've climbed Everest without any help is is pretty common as far as I'm concerned. But no one ever asks you, I know they don't ask me, I usually share them, but no one really asks you about generally about your failures. They go, oh, tell me your top 10 success tips. But it's an interesting, you've got an interesting take on this idea of failure and getting it wrong. Janine, I'd love to know more about that. Let's look at the big losers of the world, shall we? Let's talk about the biggest loser I can think of, which is Elon Musk. Hmm. Now, he actually has lost, blown up, I think, up to four rockets worth billions and billions of dollars. His second car, which was the Tesla Model X, was two years late. He was fired from his first job. He was taken over from his second job. And I think there's somewhere he went, when he went on holidays, he got a um, a life-threatening disease and he actually now says that holidays will kill you. So Elon Musk, the biggest loser on the the planet, who's worth $18 billion and who will change the world, is one of the best examples I can think of, you have to fail to succeed. So what's happening for him every time he's failing? Why is that success? Well, because it's, it's his attitude. It's the attitudes of successful people. They don't wallow in the failures. The, the failures, I see failures as like a, a university degree, right? You pay for your university degree, you get lessons. Your failures, whenever you fail, it costs money. In business, no failure that you do won't cost you money. So I then justified it, because I have all these justifications in my life, that I'm actually paid for a course. So I, I've paid for a course in hiring the right financial person. I've paid for a course in policies and procedures. I've, I've paid for many, many courses. And every single failure costs money, but you have to fail to succeed. If you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough because it's the failing and learning how to get it right is where the beauty is in business. So I'm hearing you say that this is a big awareness raising activity and that you've really, you know, basically every time something goes wrong or there's a failure, big or small, that your awareness is raised, you've got this and then you've got a choice about how you deal with it. Mm, Correct. Well, one of the sayings that you've heard before is arrogance leads to failure. And I learned that one. And the reason I learned that one is I started Boost. You know, we were going 30% year on year. We had long queues. The money was pouring in, you know, challenges. But, you know, I thought I was a God's gift to retailing. And so we thought, okay, well, let's let's do another one because, you know, I'm so good at that. I'm just clearly just good at retail. So we did another concept, which was a salad bar called Tosses. And um, apparently, name. Yeah, and apparently there's a lot of English guy who Tosses isn't quite just a little bit rude in England, apparently a bit more rude than it is in Australia. Um, but look, that wasn't why it was failed. It failed because... I didn't give it the same focus. I didn't give it the same attention. I, I was arrogant. I was arrogant in what I thought I could do. And, you know, and, and the same thing with with other concepts that you start off. You think that you can do everything. How did you feel when tosses didn't go well? And, I mean, I can only imagine that that would have cost you a lot of money and that it's not really the brand that we all know you for, which is super smoothie, super successful. Mm. 
Look, the lessons you take out of it, and that's and that's what we do do. Whenever things go wrong or not to plan, we sit down and go, what do we learn from it? How do we avoid it in the future? So what did I learn from it? I learned that starting a brand from scratch is bloody hard and you have to actually have that focus and dedication. In actual fact, we're at the time when we started Tosses is Boost was in such a rapid growth that I didn't have the resources to really give it what it needs and, and businesses need love. We learned that, you know, food, salads are harder. We learned that the price of raw ingredients goes up and down a lot quicker. We learned that, you know, without the right people focusing on a brand, it won't work. So, you know, and I, and I learned that I can't do everything. I think mm. that was one of the biggest lessons is you think that you can do everything, but you can't. So what business teaches you, you cannot be arrogant and you just can't assume. Mm. So your view on failing is that it's necessary you have to fail to succeed. So the tosses example, you said you were arrogant. I mean, that's a big thing to say about yourself, but you were arrogant with your success around what had happened at Boost and then you failed. Hmm. How did that impact you moving forward? What was the lesson that you learned apart from well, salad ingredients are more expensive? Well, it was humbling to know to think that, you know, you can't just do another brand because you think you can. Yeah, you've got all this knowledge. Because I've done one. So, so, but what that taught us though was that it gave us the respect from someone else developing a brand. And so we actually then changed our strategy because of that and said, okay, it's actually cheaper because as you said, quite rightly, so it costs us a lot of money in leases and Mm. fit out and all of that. So it actually was cheapest for us to buy another concept that actually had all that worked out than it was actually to start your own. So you made good on the loss on tosses. Correct. And so we bought a four-store chain called Solstice Fresh Max Grilled, which had already oh. had everything sort of set up for us. And then we grew it to, to a number of stores. We then gave business the respect it deserves on how hard it is to grow a brand. And that's why, you know, you wonder why it's so hard for an Australian brand or any brand to, to grow overseas. Because it's the same thing. If you take Boost into another country, you're starting from scratch. I mean, who is Boost? I mean, seriously, it's nothing in other countries. 98% awareness in Australia. In um, Czechoslovakia, zero. Mm, that's amazing, by the way, the 98% awareness. Like, that's big success there. But zero in Czechoslovakia is a reality check, isn't it? But it's also giving that respect. I mean, we're currently looking at entry into the USA and we, I've made it very clear to the team that it's most likely we will fail unless we go in there knowing we're going to fail. And the reason I've, I've said that to them is so we don't go arrogantly. Just because we're a success here does not mean we're going to be a success in America. In fact, we're, going to, we're starting at minus zero. They've already got a smoothie market over there. We have to try harder. We have to be that little battler that actually does more than, the, than everyone else to actually succeed. So every time you fail, is it so critical that you spend time reflecting before you move on to actually work out what that lesson is? Yeah. There's two things with failure. First and foremost, own it. You know, it's okay to get it wrong. You know, and the, I don't care if you're a business owner, you're an executive, or you're a receptionist at a, at, a, at a place. Own your mistakes. No one respects that more, but own it with solutions. So, and and I naturally go, okay, yep, stuffed it up, and we stuff it up at all every day, right? How do I go forward and never make that mistake again? It is okay to make mistakes. In fact, we have to make mistakes. We're idiots when we do it twice, and we're we're morons if we do it three times. Yeah, so. 
it's it's so, so important that we are kind on ourselves for the first time we make mistakes. But then learn it. Like, you you got to remember, Boost started with thin air. You know, there was there was nothing. There was a piece of paper that had the word business plan on it. That was Boost. So every single policy, procedure, where they stand in store, where the, the, the tap is, came from learnings of getting it wrong, getting it right. You know, I um, I remember someone took home $6,000. Well, I should repeat that. Someone stole $6,000, took it home. And then when I um, was told, went to the police, they said, well, did you tell them they can't take the money home? It's like, surely that's implied. Surely that's implied it's stealing. Well, have you got a policy on that? No. Okay. So, Fine, I didn't think I'd have to do a policy on not stealing my money, but fine, we'll do a policy. Mm-hmm. So every single time something goes wrong, you go, all right, how do I avoid it in the future? And so my whole brain keeps going back to solutions. And I love that I just have this picture of you standing at the door in your house going, I feel sick because work is always with me when I'm home and it's there and I need to be doing something. So I'll move office. Mm-hmm. You're learning from everything, even the emotions. That's one thing I do want to ask you about because with failure comes a whole bunch of human emotions, Mm. a whole lot of things. We know whether it's a failed relationship or a failed um, uh, event or we, we fail a test, that there's a whole lot of emotions that come up, things like shame and embarrassment, fear of judgment, um, you know, we get defensive or critical of other people. We can hide and avoid. There's all sorts of things that go wrong and a lot of relationships go wrong around times of failure. I'm really interested in how you dealt with any feelings that came up for you. For example, during tosses, you were, you know, you've gone from feeling confident, I won't say arrogant, super confident, and then you failed. I think that with anything around that space, it is it knocks your confidence. No matter what you do, when as soon as you have a fail, it's like you have a car accident, right? And you you even if it's a small one, the next time you get into a car, you're a bit more tentative. Well, it's no difference in business. When you actually get knocked, you go, oh, okay, well. I'll be a bit more cautious of that and or I won't go so quickly into it. But your confidence is everything. People people thrive on their confidence. So it's it's I think the key thing is to be kind to yourself. Okay, that's really interesting, this idea of being kind to yourself. And we've got a mutual friend, Andy, who's really um this is one of her key focuses in her work about people giving themselves self-care and being kind to yourself. And then you've got the opposing view, which is beat yourself up harder and harder, work harder and more disciplined. So where do we go with that tension of self-care and being kind to ourselves but pushing ourselves forward? Oh, look, at the end of the day, it's people are, are built a certain way too. So some people are, are very, like there's no, there's some people in my work that you go, I don't need to say anything to her or him if it goes wrong because they're going to be 10 times harder on themselves than I would ever be. So they'll self-correct. They'll self-correct, you know, and I, but when I say be kind to yourself, it's okay to get it wrong. The only time that I think you should be a little bit hard on yourself, if you keep repeating that same mistake, 
you know, it's okay to get it wrong once. It's okay even to get it wrong twice. But the third time, seriously, come on, let's, let's, and it's enough. But I, it gets down to the type of people, whether you, whether you're that victim of poor me or whether you're the person that says, right, okay, fine, it went wrong. What's the solution? What's the accountability? How do I, like, when I played netball as a young girl, if I threw the ball, threw it to the wrong girl or did a mistake, I was determined that the next ball I was going to intercept and I was going to make it right. And so I think if you have that attitude is it's okay to stuff it up, but what are you going to do to make good? So if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. No, not at all. And you actually have to. Look, we're in an era now that business has changed so much. We're in an era of innovation and if you're not innovating, you're going to fail in business. And we, we talk a lot about that in other episodes, but just to touch base on that in context of having to fail, with innovation and new, there is going to be more failures than there actually are going to be successes. There's going to be nine failures, but that one success is going to be sweet. So it's not about going, oh, it's okay, we're failing, you know, again with the arrogance for it. It's actually about going, I'm going to give it my all. We've, we've had every intention it's going to work, but if it fails, it's okay. Okay, so this brings me to this idea of shit happens. So you've heard the great sayings around we can't control everything in our lives, you know, except the things you can't control. Maybe that's from AA, I can't remember. I haven't been there, <laughs> even though I don't drink, just to be clear to everybody <laughs> out there. Um, but I just, this idea that, that um, uh, shit happens and... You know, we hear a lot about, oh, be resilient, pick yourself up again, but sometimes it's really hard. Mm. There's some things you can control and there's actually things that sort of you get thrown a card. I mean, I, the first time I met you, um, you gave me a beautiful, great, beautiful train track smile. So, you know, was I mean, that when I had my just broken my jaw, fainting, going to the bathroom in the middle of the night? Yeah. So, you know, that was a card that you didn't expect. You didn't really do anything wrong there. So, so okay, so what? how did you handle that? Well, I'll, um, I had to sell a family home because I hadn't planned and I didn't have insurance. I'd recently been divorced and I had three teenage daughters at high school. Uh, for a living, I speak. And so it's like an athlete breaking their leg. And, but I didn't have any income coming through. I didn't have any insurance on that. So we sold the, the home, moved into a rental home, and I spent a couple of months trying to get better. But during that time, I kept coaching people. So I kept being an executive coach. And there's one woman in particular that I would go and see weekly, her, and she was terrific. And she said to me one day, you know what, I thought I was resilient, but I'll never ever forget sitting in front of you with your mouth full of um, wires because I was literally wired up and had elastic bands joining my top jaw and my bottom jaw so I couldn't move it. I remember. It was scary. (laughs) Well, yeah. What was my famous line to you when I met you? Oh, I think you were, I think you, I don't know, you're on morphine or something, but you said, (laughs) I love having my jaw broken. I can can scare small children. It's not, I'm really not that bad person. (laughs) Uh, But um, I was trying to be funny, I think. But look, this idea of um, at a moment I had to choose. And in fact, from that moment, um, previously my business had been um, really propping up other people's businesses under their brand. So I'd been working under a number of brands really successfully and I I have to say proudly making other people successful 
And it was that moment that I said, so I've got to step into this. As I get my wires off my mouth, I'm either going to be Graham Consulting Group and it's Margie all the way, or I may as well give up now. And that took a lot of sort of courage, but shit happens. And look, the funniest line was when I went to a party and I was dressed up as Deborah Harry and we, as you do, and my friend said, oh, you have to meet, you know, another friend of hers tonight. And I said, yeah, 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 I'd love to meet them. Anyway, I was grabbed by the corner by somebody and they said, are you, you Margie? And I said, yes. And she said, you're the woman who redefined rock bottom. And like you on the netball court, internally, I thought that's not my brand. I do not want to be seen as the woman who hit rock bottom, had to sell her family home, had broken her jaw, had recently divorced, had no money in insurance, you know, like, let's go on here. I was not going to own that brand and I wanted to step back into something else. So that was the bit that drove me through the so-called incident. So what was the feeling around that time? Oh, lots of them. I, t- I tell you what, there's a roller coaster in here. Um, if I think back to that time, there was, well, before it happened, and I, we will refer back to this in Life Balance, but before it happened, I trained to listen to what's going on in my head. And in my head, I said, I want it to stop because I was too busy. I just couldn't keep going and I couldn't see an end to the speed and veracity at which I was working. And so I heard it again and then I broke my jaw. And when I woke up after three hours of being knocked out with a mouthful of teeth in the, in the, in the concrete floor, um, I, I said to, to myself, oh, Julia Gillard's the Prime Minister. Today is Sunday. I can stop now. Those were the three thoughts that I had. So really, you know, this idea of feeling was at first a bit of relief that I had rest. Now, that's outrageous to think that you break your jaw and you feel relieved that you can have a rest. Um, I believe that Adriana Huffington has a similar story to me that happened after my story, but I'm just not famous enough to have told my story early. But that was really like relief, then um, a little bit of a bit of a pity party for a minute, then action and solution, just like you, and then the sheer determination. That that one comment at that party really shifted it for me. So shit happens, Janine. Mm. And seriously, I'm not special. So much shit happens to so many people. It's actually the classic line is what you do with it. Mm. And also care for what you wish for. Yeah, well, clearly, I did write a blog post on that, that what your thoughts become your actions and your behaviour, and clearly it had for me. My beautiful Auntie Ruth, who's passed, used to say, accept and adapt. And I reckon as simple as your strategy about 522 or 322, whatever it might be because you remember it, always remember this idea of accept and adapt because you can't control everything that happens no. to you. I think it leads into what I talk about. There's two types of people out there and you can choose to be either of them. And I think in some respects we actually can lead to each type of person. I think it's the people that are verbs and the people that choose to soar. And the verbs are the, you know, the victims, they're entitled, they need to be rescued and they blame. But, you know, that for me that story that you just told me is really where 
people need to be, which is the saw. You know, they come up with solutions. They take ownership for it. They're accountable and they're responsible for the outcome. And if if you can communicate and you can think and you can live your life that way, we all have our pity powers. We all go down to the, we're a victim. I'm entitled to a better life or I'm entitled to a better husband or I'm entitled to a better job. But, you know, it doesn't get you anywhere. It just gets you that wallow. And you know what? It it's um sometimes shit just happens mm. and you and it's you look at those cards and you go how do i then play them yeah and my reference point is always i'm not an asylum seeker because i just look at things that happen and i just think wow i'm okay okay yeah. i'm a you know lucky person who's got just happens to have had this happen to them so it's really interesting as we we think about this idea of failing but there are an enormous number of emotions that we have to travel through to actually come out the other end. Um, I'm interested, while we're talking about feelings, we, we mentioned earlier guilt. Mm. And guilt's a big concept, mm. really big concept. And, um, you know, there's the guilt of being a working mother or the guilt of um, not doing your work well enough. There's the guilt of having ageing parents and not being able to be there all the time. There's the guilt of not being able to be at home if one of your children's sick. There's this this push and pull, this tension or what we might call goal conflict going on in our heads that actually drive us to have this emotion of guilt. Mm. I'd love to explore that a bit with you. I think one of the biggest things that come up uh, for me, when, when you know, women with children and, and other people, particularly women with children, is that they feel that guilt about being away from their kids. And, you know, I go back to other episodes when I talked about the fact that, you know, one of the reasons I started Boost Juice was to have flexibility and spend more time with my children. And I found when I started a business, I had less time for my children, less time for my husband and less time for myself. So it's quite ironic, I like this point. I really want to pick up on this because it's so often I hear people say, I'm starting a business so I have control over my time. I'm starting a business so I can spend more time with my kids. Mm. And inevitably, you end up spending six days a week at work or always, just like you walking past that door, it's always there. Mm. So how do we deal with this tension? Look, for me, it was an interesting one because it was sort of a bit of a push and pull. So in one respect, I was going, you know, hang on, I started for this flexibility and sure, because it was my own business, I could run off and see the Christmas pageant. Um, but but really where it, where it got to for me was that I actually started to love it. Like, and the guilt came from not the poor me, I'm not spending enough time with my children. The guilt came from going, I love what I do. And I found working far more stimulating than, than doing blocks, you know, far more stimulating than, you know, in some respects, you know, doing some of the things with my children, which I, which then you go, hang on, I'm feeling guilty because I'm really enjoying this this opening of this world of business. I'm loving it. But, you know, and, and you know, walking around the park is a bit boring. Mm. Mm. And it's this idea. So for me, there's a oh, period. Oh, that's a bit honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, don't tell the kids. Um, so there's a period of time for me in business where, and with personal challenges, you know, as I mentioned, divorced and living, having the three girls living with me and, you know, starting the business and it going well, then I, I found that 
that I became really guilty because I wasn't spending enough time with my ageing parents, mm. with friends. I mean, my joke is I had my head so far up my own ass, doing what I needed to do to survive and grow that I forgot about some of those really important connections for me. So I felt guilty about that. I was spending enough time with the girls, my daughters, but I, I wasn't giving time and feeding and nurturing the relationships that were important to me because I had business and my kids. That was it. But then, you know, we, we're such hard on ourselves. We bloody get the whipping stick out and we go, you know, we should be spending time more time with our girlfriends. We should be doing this, should be doing that. You know, I got to a point because you do a lot of self-reflection when you're, you're travelling and you sort of you think, when you, again, when you're doing things wrong, how do you get it right? And so for me it was like, okay, well, first and foremost, I'm not spending enough time with my children, what I'm going to do about it. So I go back to the solution. So I actually read the whole Harry Potter series to my children because it forced me to be present with them. Because even at a point where they were younger, I would sit there and go, yes, yes, you know, yes, Samuel, yes, so I'm doing your homework. But really I'm, my mind wasn't there. I wasn't there. I was thinking about the hundred stores I had to build. So how do you deal with the guilt or the, the, uh, the knowledge, this idea that actually... I know I'm not being fully present, yeah. either at work or with the Do you kids. Know what? I was kind to myself. In the end of the day, the way I dealt with it was saying, it's okay. Because in the end, what I found was, is I was a really happy person doing work. I was a really happy person creating, creating this business. And a happy person meant that I was a better wife. And a better wife meant that I was a better mother. Because they came home and I was I was up, up. I was mm. up, I was smiling, I was happy. So if I was, you know, and other people, everyone has their own path, but for me, it was an addiction for me. It was something that I loved to do. And I thought so, and so why would I, I decided there was absolutely useless energy throwing guilt into the mix. So I thought, okay, and I went to, okay, what, what can I do about it? I'm not spending enough time with my children. All right. So when I travel, I used to take one with me. So they used to rotate. Amazing. Right? Amazing. So I had an, a, um, I always had a toy box in my office. I always, I used to go, you know what, if people have an issue with my kids in a meeting, bad luck. It's, it's mine. I used to go, it's okay to say no to tuck duty. It's okay to not get involved with schools because that's not one I'd like to do. And two, it's I'm I'm prioritizing. I'd much rather if I have my time to go to the park with my children than sit in a tuck shop. You know, and that's okay for some people, but for me it was I just went, I'm okay, I'm not feeling guilty about that, despite the fact those mothers made me feel guilty. Oh, Janine, when was the last time you did the talk show? And it's so funny because I know that you don't do tuck shop because I think it's called canteen. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, really great exploring these ideas of guilt and being really clear that it's not all going to go according to plan just because you've got it written down on a piece of paper or you can visualise it or you've got a picture on your iPad. This idea of, you know, failing will help make you successful. Shit's going to happen, but make sure you manage or deal with this tension of guilt if it appears in your life as you spend all your time nurturing and growing this business. So interesting. Mm -hmm. Just on guilt, because I think it's a really important one, is that sometimes you don't have a choice to do what you do. You know, you could be a single mum and you've got to, you know, raise, raise your children on your own or for whatever, millions of reasons. So guilt is just such a, a negative emotion that doesn't actually achieve anything. So just embrace it and make the best of what we've got. Mm. But it's, it's, you know, for these, it goes back to what I said before about being a verb. 
you know, guilt is a victim. You know, I'm guilty. Oh, you're a poor thing. You know, you're not entitled to this great life. Make it yours. You know, don't don't try and look for to, someone to rescue you and don't blame the world. Take accountability for everything you do. Superwomen We Ain't is a Podcast One production recorded in the studios of Podcast One Melbourne. Executive producer is Grant Tothill, produced by Brooke Carrigan, audio by Darcy Thompson. Listener.